0: From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Back to school season is upon us. Some college students have already headed back to campus, and students in elementary and secondary schools are preparing. Here to provide some advice for parents, students, and teachers is Dr. Yana Shaw. She's a pediatrician who specializes in infectious disease and a parent of school age children. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Shaw. Hello, Amber. Thank you for having me. I realize the answer to my first question might be different depending on where someone lives, but is it safe for kids to return to the classroom?
1: Yeah, well, that's an excellent question, and I get that question quite often these days. Um, You know, we are fortunate to live in a county where we have been uh, able to mitigate the transmission of this virus uh, very well. In fact, our test positivity rate, uh, which is something we use to measure activity of this virus is very low, it's less than 1%. Um, So one could argue we are in the best position to open schools and do so safely, um, as long as we continue to monitor the virus activity and implement the best safety practices um, at
0: schools. So you said positivity rate. That Help me remember what that number is. It has to do with how many people are getting tested, right?
1: It has to do with the number of people who test positive um, in the county. So the county now tests people um, because we have an improved capacity of COVID testing. So and then we look at the number of uh, positives um, out of those all people who were tested. And the state has issued um, very clear guidance in terms of what is required for schools to be open. And uh, for New York State, it is less than 5% positivity. Um, Here in central New York, we have the second lowest positivity rate uh, following uh, North Country.
0: So North Country, well, uh, that's what I was going to ask you about, the differences potentially between urban, suburban, and rural areas, the North Country's mostly rural right does that have something to do with their positivity rate being so low it is quite possible you know the uh, city's
1: congestion and overcrowding is um, for the soil for transmission uh, so clearly you know areas where people's homes are more distant and people have less opportunity to be exposed to each other due to just the um, rural nature of that um, makeup um, certainly helps to mitigate the transmission of the virus. Um, so it's, it's quite possible that the uh, rural nature of uh, North Country and Central New York um, areas helps to mitigate the transmission of the virus.
0: When we think about whether it's safe to go back to the classroom, does it depend upon the, like the physical size of your school building?
1: Yes, it does. Um, The New York State Department of Health and uh, Department of Education issued uh, guidance for safe opening of schools. And one of the recommendations is to make sure that the children's desks are spaced six feet apart. Um, So, you know, not all schools can do that. They may have smaller classrooms, they may have more children. So all those restrictions have to be taken into consideration before school can open for in-person learning
0: so how do you as a pediatrician counsel parents to decide whether to send their child back to the classroom what, what sorts of things do they need to consider for their own individual situation
1: so for me as as you know Amber I do have three children as well they are school age children one is college bound and they all are going back to school this, this fall so the things that I think about um, um, are are several, uh, right? So, first, is my uh, child otherwise healthy? Um, uh, am I, as a as an adult, a uh, healthy person? Um, is it safe for me uh, to be around people who might come into contact with with COVID? Um, um, The next thing one needs to consider is um, the child's ability to learn online, right? We know that online learning in general um, has not been very effective uh, to help children learn, especially as children um, get younger. It's it's even harder for them uh, to learn, and parents had to step up to help their children. For families where both parents work, for example, that's a very challenging task. So the second thing, again, to consider: uh, do children want to do? Do your children want to go back to school? Um, are they uh, good learners uh, through uh, distance learning? Um, uh, The other um, thing to consider uh, is um, how uh, safe um, the school environment appears to be, Uh, you know, what are those steps that the schools have taken or your school district have taken to keep your children safe? You know, talk to your uh, school administrators or research their websites um, to alleviate some of your concerns um, about uh, sending your child back to school. It is my experience with the schools um, in uh, our county that they all are taking this very seriously. And the state also reviews the the district's approaches to return to school in fall. Um, So I I am confident, certainly in my school district, uh, that um, um, it will be a safe environment for children to return.
0: But if a child has an underlying health condition, if I hear what you're saying, they maybe need to talk to their own pediatrician about whether it's safe to go back.
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, if you have a child or you yourself are, um, you know, someone who might be at increased risk for severe COVID, you have Immuno, you know, immunocompromising condition, or you have diabetes, you have, you know, other health issues. Please talk to your provider, talk to your child's pediatrician, um, and, um, and decide together uh, whether sending your child back to school is the best for your family. Because each family will have unique challenges and has unique resources or lack off um, to uh, the support um, in classroom learning.
0: This is Upstate's HealthLink air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Yana Shaw, a pediatric infectious disease expert and a parent of school-aged children. The American Academy of Pediatrics has gone on the record about the importance of in-person learning, not just for learning's sake, but for a child's social development. Um, but the group is also tracking the number of children who become infected and seriously ill when they go back to school. How do pediatric infectious disease experts like yourself balance that risk and, and benefit?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's um, that's very uh, challenging question, right? In general, we Humans um, are not very good in sort of measuring risk, right, and assessing risk. We often are driven by fears um, and uh, we fear things that are new and unknown to us. So, the COVID pandemic is a great example of how uh, a fear can drive our decisions that may not be always rational. However, um, to answer your question, you know, um, the decision to send your child back to school, as we have discussed earlier, should be sort of grounded in some, some facts. Um, it's, you have to consider the local transmission of this virus. Um, one needs to consider your individual risk to this infection um, as a child, as a parent. And one also has to really, really uh, value carefully the importance of in classroom learning for your child, as you mentioned uh, you know children um, need uh, social interactions for their healthy development. Uh, Schools not only provide um, educational environment for our children, they provide structure. They are the daycare for working families. They provide meals and they assist children who may not be able to learn um, on their own or with their parents, such as special needs children. So all those things need to be taken into consideration um, to help uh, the parent uh, to decide uh, whether to send the child back to school. And thankfully, schools have been very accommodating. Uh, Numerous schools have sent out surveys asking parents uh, whether they would prefer online learning or um, these hybrid models that allow children to return back to school.
0: Well, let's talk about some of the things that schools can do and are doing to reduce the spread of the virus. Can you sort of go over the bare minimum that schools need to do in terms of keeping kids safe?
1: Of course, yeah. So there are, uh, for schools, there are um, five basic principles that the schools will follow to keep children safe. Uh, number one, children will be required to wear masks, face covering. Uh, they will have to be physically distanced. Uh, the desks will be put you know, six feet apart to make sure the virus cannot jump easily from a child to child. Um, the children will be required to avoid um, you know, close contact, crowding will be, will be minimized at schools, and the schools whenever possible will be trying to um, uh, provide outdoor education if possible at all, or ensure that the ventilation in the classroom is, is, is safe um, to minimize the risk of uh, transmission of the virus in the classroom.
0: So outdoors might work for uh, several weeks, maybe a few months into our season, until, the, until it gets wintry. Um, are, are you hearing about schools that are setting up like tents? And, and why is outdoors better than indoors?
1: Yeah, so outdoors is better for this virus because it um, allows increased circulation and increases the probability of the virus landing in your nose, in your mouth, maybe in your eyes, so it minimizes the risk of infection. You know, because we are in central New York and winter uh, comes upon us quite early, um, leaving windows open, for example, when possible during winter is one um, other way to help uh, the classroom air circulation. So children don't necessarily need to be outdoors uh, when that's not possible, but leaving windows open when possible is another uh, helpful uh, tactic uh, to improve air circulation. In addition, a lot of schools have um, um, invested in their uh, school ventilation system uh, to help um, to increase air circulation and to minimize transmission.
0: We've heard about uh, music classes and sports, things of that nature, extracurriculars sort of that are having to be canceled. How long is that going to go on? Yeah, so those activities have been canceled, you know,
1: choir, physical, um, or council, because they are events or activities that increase risk of transmission Um, It's not clear for how long they will be canceled. I would um, guess that at least for a semester uh, for, you know, for uh, the first and second marking period. And um, the uh, situation will be reassessed uh, probably early next year.
0: What happens if a student or a teacher tests positive? What happens to that classroom and or the school itself?
1: Yeah, so those are um, concerns that obviously uh, have to be ironed out before school opens. And the local Department of Health will guide those efforts. Um, you know, the, the risk of exposure to someone really depends on uh, the extent of the exposure, how long the infected person uh, was around others? Was the person who tested positive uh, wearing mask, uh properly? Uh, was the person wearing the mask uh, during all times? So all those um, individual uh, factors have to be taken into consideration to determine uh, whether there was risks to others or uh, or not. Um, so, I will defer to the local Department of Health Management of those exposures as um, those individual unique situations will have to be um, carefully assessed.
0: Now, some teachers are very worried about catching this virus from students, and they have a lot of experience catching colds and flus from their students. Do they have reason to be concerned, or is... Is this particular coronavirus behaving in some different way from other viruses?
1: Yeah, so I do understand uh, teachers are concerned, um, especially if you're an older teacher or you have underlying medical conditions that puts you at greater risk for severe disease. Um, Those are real and legitimate concerns. Um... uh, This virus really doesn't behave differently compared to other uh, cold viruses, Um, you know, since you ask. uh, Flu, for example, right, is another virus that is transmitted through respiratory route and can be very dangerous, uh, not only to children, but also adults. In terms of protection for teachers to feel safer, you know, they will be required to wear a mask. And it might be uh, that for some teachers, they will choose also to wear face shields. You know, in healthcare, we routinely uh, or universally require that our staff wears uh, face mask, ear loop masks. And we also recommend uh, face shields as a standard uh, way to protect yourself uh, from exposure. So for teachers, Teachers who are concerned um, and would like the extra layer of protection using a facial may alleviate um, um, the risk and, and the fear.
0: Well, let's talk about what are some of the things parents can do to help their kids and their schools minimize exposure. For instance, should parents drive their kids to school rather than put them on a bus? Does that help? Yeah,
1: so school buses um, um, may be a challenge for some families, especially if those families live uh, far away from school and child will have to be on a bus for an extended period of time, let's say more than 15 minutes. Um, so um, if you are able to drive your child to school, it is a safer alternative. Yeah. Um, you know schools will be required, uh physical distancing on the buses as well children will not be able to sit close to each other and um the bu- uh, bus drivers will do their best to keep the windows open also to uh, improve the air circulation um so they'll do their best uh, to provide a safe environment as possible but if a parent wants to minimize risk and can drive the child to to school driving um, you know them would be uh, would be would be better. Um, in terms of what other interventions they can do uh, is make sure that you do not send a sick child to school. If your child has even mild symptoms, you know, is feeling achy, your child is t- um, tired more than usually, has fever, has scratchy throat, headache, you know, vomiting, diarrhea, cough, all those symptoms that are consistent with COVID, please do not send your child to school because you are uh, you're exposing others to the virus that um, that can spread pretty quickly in a in a school setting.
0: What about lunch? Is it better or safer for a, a child to bring the food with them or to buy the school lunch?
1: So uh, bringing your own lunch probably is best option. Again, fomites or um, essentially a transmission of this virus through food or surfaces does not appear to play an um, important role um, in this pandemic, although transmission has been documented. Uh, so if you want to minimize the risk completely, you know, preparing um, a lunch for your child would be the way to go.
0: Do you need to send your child to school with hand sanitizer in their backpack, with Lysol wipes? I mean, how much of this is up to the the student? So the
1: teachers will have uh, hand sanitizers and wipes in the classroom, but teaching your child healthy habits such as washing hands before you eat um, and therefore, you know, providing them with a hand sanitizer uh, will ease that process and make that school environment uh, safer. So if you can, please send your child to school with a hand sanitizer and teach them how to properly use it.
0: Now we mentioned earlier about some teachers might wear a face shield. I wonder, do eyeglasses offer any sort of protection from the virus getting into the eyes? So eyeglasses
1: do not. Uh, Eyeglasses would be an effective way uh, to protect oneself uh, from this virus. So if you have any concerns and you might be at increased risk and you are returning back to school to teach, consider wearing a face shield in addition to to mask.
0: Now, how often do you think kids need to be tested? Do Do you think only if they have an exposure or if they have symptoms? or should we be testing kids routinely? So we currently do not
1: recommend routine testing of all children, and that means asymptomatic children, children who have no exposure or have no symptoms. Um, The reason being is that the usefulness of that approach um, is limited, and we also want to preserve our testing capacity uh, to make sure we have enough tests for those who who really need them, those who have symptoms or uh, were exposed. Um, So... um, The testing um, alone um, will evolve over time, but as of today, we do not recommend routine testing of asymptomatic people.
0: Do you think that families need to maintain sort of a study area at their home? Does it seem like they have to be prepared to sort of switch on a dime to go back to virtual learning?
1: That's
0: an excellent point. Amber,
1: I think it's really important that parents do
0: have a backup
1: plan in case the school will have to switch to online learning only, and um, that uh, means that they um, ideally would have a study designated area. They will have a backup childcare for their children if parents have to work um, uh, and cannot remote and cannot work remotely. Um, You know, it's quite possible that um, each school will have a different threshold um, in terms of closing if they have a case or two. Um, And also along with the Department of Health Guidance, um, the recommendations uh, may change from school to school. So um, it's really important that that parents are prepared to having to switch to online learning on a very short notice.
0: Have you heard of any creative solutions to these? Uh, what have to be sort of elaborate plans for backup childcare? Um, what what do you, what have you heard that might that sounds like it would work best? So
1: the approaches to um, uh, sort of safe um, learning and backup daycare um, are. Um, Ongoing and people share them as they as they sort of come up with those ideas. You know, one of those that I that I really liked, especially for younger children, are those where the classroom sort of have several different parts. Right. You have a small group of children, maybe four to five that um, are restricted to certain part of the classroom and those children do not interact with others. Um, so this type of approach is clever because it um, allows you to minimize risk of transmission in case there is a child who has a symptomatic infection um, and subsequently will go on developing symptoms. And that approach will minimize the risk of transmission to other children, even in the same classroom. It also allows public health professionals to identify, track and trace those individuals because that child, in the case Um, itself would have a very limited exposure to others. So sort of creating these pods, these social learning pods in the classroom is one approach and maybe doing the same with a childcare. You know, try to limit the childcare to few individuals because if one comes in with an infection, then you can easily uh, test, um, identify and isolate those who were um, exposed and infected.
0: You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with pediatric infectious disease expert, Dr. Yana Shaw. She's also the parent of school-age children. Now, I know our understanding of this disease is evolving in real time since it's new. So please bring us up to date with how much of a threat COVID-19 is to children. So COVID-19, um, as you know, can infect
1: children. Children, thankfully though, uh, tend to have um, very mild disease that are mostly either asymptomatic, meaning they show no symptoms, or they get a mild infection. Cough, cold, scratchy throat, feeling tired, having fever. Very, very small proportion of children will go on developing more moderate or severe disease that will require hospitalization. And this trend has been consistent since um, the advent of this uh, pandemic, since we have been tracking disinfection in children, you know, for in children and um, physicians' experience in China, Europe, and the United States.
0: So are children more likely to be asymptomatic carriers than adults are? Uh, that's correct. It does appear that children are more likely to carry this virus and have no symptoms. And then a while ago, we heard about children who developed this, it was an inflammatory illness involving multiple body systems. Is that still a concern for for some children?
1: Yes. So what you're referring to, Amber, is called multi-inflammatory systemic um, reaction in children uh, that is um, related to COVID. It typically appears several weeks after uh, infection and the infection, you know, Uh, could have been asymptomatic infection, it is a very rare complication of COVID in children. Um, We have not seen as many cases now since New York is uh, past the peak of this pandemic, right? We have seen cases probably two to four weeks after its peak um, and have not really uh, seen many since we have such a low circulation of the virus in our community.
0: We've heard about some adults who recover and then go on to have sort of lasting repercussions uh, from COVID. Are we seeing that in children who have sort of a mild course of illness, but then they have some lingering symptoms for a long period of time?
1: Um, So I haven't seen any studies that would address this question, so I will have to sort of... um, stand by answering this one, and maybe on an, our next segment, we can talk about if there's any more information. But what I can speak of is um, the mis the multi-inflammatory system um, uh, condition in children, uh, where researchers have looked, and um, at least in short term, those children appear to recover uh, really nicely and not to have a lasting sequelae or complications.
0: Let me ask you what happens when a vaccine becomes available. There's some parents who oppose any sort of vaccine. But in this particular case with COVID, there may be parents who fear that what's being developed is being rushed. And so they're going to worry about whether the vaccine is safe. What are your feelings about the vaccines that are in development?
1: So, so far there are over 160 vaccines in development, Uh, just a small number of them has uh, made it through the rigorous processes uh, and uh, a few have emerged as possible candidates. You know, I I am concerned about the rushed production. Um, It's understandable that um, we want um, effective and safe vaccine very quickly to help to control the spread of this virus. Uh, but again, um, it's critical that we follow our very rigorous uh, uh, process for uh, vaccine approval in the United States. Um, so it's 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 likely that the reason why this is rushed and it appears to be rushed is that we have um, managed a vaccine rollout. Um, in uh, parallel paths, right? Historically, when we develop uh, vaccines in the United States, we go through stages, um, uh, clinical phase one trial, phase two, phase three, um, and then we have post-licensure monitoring. But in this case, we are doing several steps at the same time, and that might be the sole reason why this has progressed very rapidly and did not compromise the uh, safety process in place. Um, So I think it will be critical once a license is uh, ready for approval that those are reviewed based on the same standards we use for other childhood vaccines or adult vaccines.
0: Well, on the subject of vaccines, considering the flu vaccine this year, do children need to get the flu shot this year? Absolutely. You know, flu
1: is a threat not only to children, but it's a threat to adults as well. We cannot forget that flu kills uh, between 100 to 200 children every year. And those are healthy children uh, or children who have underlying medical conditions. But flu remains a threat uh, to us and kills adults and children every year. We have a safe an effective vaccine that can protect you from severe influenza and death. So I would really strongly encourage
0: parents to vaccinate themselves and their children. And the flu vaccine is not going to offer any protection against COVID, but it's also not going to cause you to be more susceptible to COVID, correct? That's correct.
1: Yeah, a flu vaccine only protects against influenza, uh, will not help with COVID protection, and will not uh, make you more susceptible to, uh, to COVID. You know, I think it's really important we do our part and do our best to get our community as healthy and as safe, which means influenza vaccination, if we see a second wave of COVID-19 uh, because if we put COVID nineteen in our community and influenza on top of it, our healthcare capacity will be overwhelmed.
0: Well, this has been very informative. I want to thank Dr. Yana Shaw, a pediatric infectious disease specialist at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show Health Link on air.